0: We've been growing our successful businesses online and we wanna bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 40. We're gonna be changing it up a little bit this week and we're gonna do the first of what is gonna be a quarterly Q and A. we poll our patrons every week for after show. And what we wanna do is start dropping some of our favorite questions into the main show as well. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Instagram hashtagging, alternative social media platforms like Reddit and Tumblr, hiring employees, and charging for consulting and designing. So I hope you guys enjoy a peek at this weekly patron after show. And before we get into it, actually what we want to do is thank some of the new members that joined the MFP patron tribe this week. We had Christian Cologne and Justin Woodworks. Thank you guys for joining. If you do want to be part of the after show and be able to ask your questions and get them answered... You can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. John, what you been doing this
1: week, brother? Oh, I've actually just been sitting (laughs) down for hours because we finally (laughs) got the conference table out of the shop. Got that bad boy installed. The client is thrilled and loving it, um, which is always great. We did a little custom signage for them, too. Um, So uh, I'm just enjoying not physically being uh, (laughs) in the shop. 24 sevens like dude i was here on easter i was here for a whole day the day before easter and i get that that's what i signed up for but man is it nice to have a project that large out of the shop it was an hour to set it up and an hour to take it down like every time so oh, yeah it was um, huge yeah man and then i also it was really cool i'm uh starting to do a little bit of the uh work on my house that's taken me almost a year to get into and uh my buddy james from select was over this week he has a business in west virginia and we're getting started on a uh a custom design for my uh, for my the deck of my house, which hopefully I can get done. Oh, nice, uh, before my 30th birthday, yeah. So, so looking forward to that. And um, there's a bunch of other chaos going on in the shop. And and uh, and oh, I um, I hired an assistant, so she's going to be starting next week, uh, which is good. I mean, I've taken the advice of our boy SVD, John Van Dyke. Nice. Yes,
0: yes, yes. I saw him, he was just talking about that in his stories, and I was like. I need an assistant so Yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Let me know when she's got extra hours because I got <laughs> stuff for her. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. I have been uh, I, I just finished up. I've actually been on a decent roll on content. So I launched uh, the folding clothes drying rack that I did. That would have been last uh, a little bit last week. And uh, that one actually was received way better than I thought it was. And actually on Reddit, which we're going to be talking about in the show, I like I have not figured it out, but like this one did really well as well. And so I, I'm starting trying to hone things in there. I'm just waiting. The next one's going to flop for sure based on that. But uh, it's been kind of cool to see to see things actually perform well there and start trying to learn the system a little bit. Uh, and then next up, I'm going to be working on a dresser for my daughter. So that will be fun. I know. Get all of our stuff out. We got like those Tupperware bins, you know, or not not the Rubbermaid, the big plastic bins in our closet. It's like, okay, we need like something real. <laughs> and uh, and of course, this next week we are we're going to be heading up. So as this episode drops, we will actually be in New York City for uh, the Home Depot event we referenced last week, and um, it's going to be pretty sweet, man. Get to see some of the new tools coming out uh, that. Home Depot is going to be highlighting up there, so looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, that'll be cool. Get up to the Big Apple. Hopefully, the weather's decent. Get to see some of our buddies that are producing content, and
0: oh yeah, get to play some tools. I am I am going to try to make it up to Vanner Media, Gary vannerchuk's headquarters up there. I'm going to try to sneak over there, and, and if we do, make sure to be checking the MFP uh, stories and posts. we'll I, I hope to. I hope to make it up there, so we'll see if that happens. But anyway, man, let's jump into this show topic. So I think it was it was kind of cool as we were sitting here. We've we've been answering our patron questions ever since we launched Patreon. That was one of the things we really wanted to do with our after show is is make it um, just totally user based around the questions and answer them for our patrons. So what we've done is we've selected uh, four questions that uh, we think have a lot of meat to them, and uh, we've already answered these in the after show actually. So we're going to answer them again. So Patrons, you can tell us if we answered them the same. <laughs> but we're also going to expand just just a little bit as well, and so I'll give you guys a, a little sneak peek of what we're doing, and as well, just you know, answering some questions that we either had like a lot of thumbs up for, or people were like, "Yes, that, that was a great question." So, John, why don't you kick us off, man, and uh, read our first question?
1: So our uh, our first question pertains to uh, social media, and we tried to pull from both social and product. Um, that way, we weren't just you know all focused in on one thing. And that comes from uh, Adam Van Essen. I think it's Essen, not Eson, right? Essen. Yep. And uh, and Adam and I had the uh, opportunity to get to meet at uh, Fabtech and then also down at WorkbenchCon. So Adam asks, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the other larger social media platforms such as Google+, Tumblr, Reddit, Instructables, uh, Twitter is one, um, and then using those for content versus production? Jumping right in, um, you know, most of you that listen to the show know uh, – <laughs> Brad and my love-hate relationship with a lot of social media platforms. Um, I think after Facebook, Reddit is definitely going to be number two. Um, (laughs) On the hate factor. On the hate factor. And (laughs) what's, what's, uh, what's incredible about Reddit is that it's like massively powerful. Like this, Reddit is a platform and it's basically just like a hub for things happening on the internet. And then everything is categorized by what's called a subreddit. And in that subreddit, they're defined by categories. So, for instance, there's woodworking, there's DIY, there's videos, there's a lot of things um, that you can get super specific in and and kind of like niche down into what you really, really, really like. So for guys like ourselves, we use it as kind of like an external um, posting platform to drive traffic to content that we're creating, whether that be video or uh, blog posts. More or less, uh, instead of just being uh, photographs. Now, Reddit in- actually prefers <laughs> the posting of photographs. So Images, we get right. tons of mixed reviews over there. Um, and there's actually a lot of a lot of content creators out there that are doing well. And there are our, our friends, um, you know, Chris Salomone does a great job on Reddit. So does Johnny Brook at Crafted. I mean, like they get a lot of traction on Reddit. And there's a lot of great ideas to be gained there, too. So it is a fruitful place to be. But... It is a harsh environment. Harsh environment. When it, 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 if, if you think the YouTube
0: comments are bad, just go sift on over to Reddit because, uh, yeah, if you don't have your backbone stiff going in, you're going to, you're going to walk away. You're going to be crying. You know, you're gonna be walking away. Your, your boyfriend's going to be like, honey, what's the matter? I was like, I was just on Reddit. <laughs> just like, what happened? Like, yeah, some, some of these comments are just vicious, but, uh, But it is, I think the biggest thing about Reddit and it's like, so any social platform, I think the biggest thing about any social platform is that each social platform has its own culture and its own community. And that's the key with social platforms is that it is a community. And if you want to be a part of that community, you can't go in and dump and run and say, here's my video, go check it out. And, and because like, and literally like in Reddit specifically, and we'll talk about some of these other ones, but we want to focus in on Reddit just because uh, I've been seeing some success there recently and interactions, uh, but also just because of how big it is, um, is that you have to engage. And so I would even recommend before, like you got to go there and and get your feet wet. And what I mean by that is go there, see what subreddits you like. Uh, When you sign up, it actually automatically signs you up for a certain amount of subreddits that are just like, some of the more popular ones, I guess. Um, And there's some really fun ones. I mean, there's just like, I really actually spend a lot of time on Reddit. I've started to. And um, one of my favorites, and for any of you pet lovers or people who have uh, kids, uh, is our, and, and so a subreddit is like, you'll see it referred to as R backslash or forward slash R forward slash and whatever that is. That's how the subreddit nomenclature is. So it's like R forward slash aww. I I don't even know what that stands for, but it's basically just constant like cute pet stuff. Like for the most part, 95% clean. Um, You might, you know, see some curse words like in the titles or something like that. But so like I like I'll go through there. And I just love, their, they do like um, animated GIFs and some video. So they'll just be pets doing just like super cute stuff or pictures of animals. So it's it's across the board. It's not just a DIY thing. I mean, literally anything you're interested in could be there. And each subreddit has its own culture. So my advice would be to go over there, get your feet wet, understand the culture, see what kind of posts are being put up, comment, uh, because that's the thing. If you go in there and just drop a link to your latest YouTube video or project, Uh, people are going to be and and people are way more hypersensitive to external links. If you go in and just post a picture in Reddit, nobody will say anything about that. Like if you say, here's my finished table, you'll probably get a bunch of great comments. It's when you start directing people off the platform where they really start burying their teeth.
1: Yeah, and we've both gone through it. I mean, I've had projects that have been extremely well accepted (laughs) on a variety of platforms just get torn to pieces on Reddit. And I mean, it's People are like calling out your soul. And I mean they're oh, like yeah. they're like, you're an awful human being for titling <laughs> things this way because your shop has all these tools in it. And I'm like, uh, am I supposed to take this personally? But <laughs> but the one yeah. thing that is great about Reddit is that when things are good, they are good. And I mean, like if you can get a piece of content on Reddit or something that you're trying to promote to pop off, it'll take off for you and it'll drive a lot of interest. Um, and Reddit has like, like Brad said, a really deep rich communities within it. So by finding those that pertain to whatever your type of content you're producing, um, if you can get people behind it, you can really build up a following there. And, And it's really cool to see that work when it does work. So, um, I would definitely suggest exactly what Brad said as well. Get into the community, start um, interacting and and making sure you understand the dynamics and how things work before you start posting. And it could be a great tool, especially for content creators, um, if you're engaged and if you're involved. Tread lightly, though, if you're brand new, because they will jump down your throats. And they actually, yeah. a lot of them do require, like, minimum posting number and, like, some, oh, yeah. some karma or whatever it's You have to you have, to
0: have uh, approval. So even, like, so the most popular, I guess we should throw that out there. The ones that I think we frequent the most are um, uh, the subreddit r slash DIY and then r slash uh, woodworking would be the two biggest ones. And there's some other ones out there, too. Something I made, how to um artisan videos videos things like that uh and then also like niche so if you're a turner there's like an r turning i think uh and there's different things i'm sure there's a metalwork one leatherwork. like i said there are thousands upon thousands of subreddits out there that you can go check out but the the biggest ones are going to be diy the biggest one is going to be diy and then woodworking is not too bad either i've not really spent much time in the metalworking side um, so, yeah, go in there and, and make sure you're you're posting because in our DIY specifically um, the moderator. So every subreddit has mo- a group of moderators and you have to have your posts approved. So you actually submit it and then it takes time until one of those moderators says, yes, this is OK to go up until you become an approved submitter. And I don't even think you're a approved submitter yet. Are you,
1: John? No, I mean, I got <laughs> I've been I was banned from woodworking. The sub, Uh, the subreddit for woodworking, I got banned from, and I was like, for
0: self promotion,
1: right? And that was, that's what they call, yeah, yeah. I was baffled. I'm like, what, 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 what what am I doing wrong here? But, um, but basically, the moderator was like, hey, man, look, we promote the usage of the of the subreddit, not just a dump and run kind of thing, like Brad touched on, and and I was at fault there. I mean, I was just dumping my content out, and uh, I wasn't really engaging with the community. So even guys like myself who <laughs> produce content frequently and use a lot of these platforms, uh, you can get into a bit of trouble there. So I would definitely suggest trying to use Reddit because I think it can be massively powerful, but I would tread lightly. I would make sure that you understand what's going on before you get
0: yeah. get your hopes it, it up. It could be. Because <laughs> exactly. my
1: river table flopped on Reddit, just so you guys know. like it is, We'll be at a million... Views here pretty soon. And it flopped on Reddit. So like, yeah. <laughs> I you never know. Know. yeah, you don't know. It's it's you're just swinging for the fence. Beautiful river table. You stink. Uh, folding
0: laundry clothes rack. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I think that out of those that we mentioned, that is probably the biggest platform that people are not using that I think has the most potential because of the eyeballs and the community there. Uh, and John hit it on. I think both of us were guilty of that coming in as we just thought that was another place for exposure. Uh, as I've gotten ingrained in the culture now, uh, I can see it's just like the same thing as Instagram. You you got to interact in the comments and all that good stuff. Uh, the other one we want to hit on is, is Instructables. And that's one I've been pushing for a while, uh, because I found some good success. Instructables, and that's just Instructables.com. We'll have links down below to these in the show notes, uh, but is a place where it's basically you have a short how-to. So people go on there and you can basically search for, it's like YouTube except for blog posts. It's almost like aggregated mini blog posts. And you can post something and say, hey, I made this folding clothes rack. And then you can you can actually embed your YouTube videos. And then um, they have it set up in steps. So it's like an introduction. And then you can add as many steps as you want. And each step becomes like a page that you can add Pictures too, it's, I mean, it's basically literally like a, a blog post and you can put as much or as little as you want to. Um, some people that completely crush it on Instructables would be Evan and Caitlin. Crush it. Um, they do amazing Instructables with animated GIFs. Kudos, shout out to them. Uh, they are patrons of ours as well. Patrons! And, <laughs> patron! And uh, they they do a, a wonderful job. And it's a great way for if you don't have a blog that has a lot of traffic to get traffic because um, there's already a ton of eyeballs coming to Instructables. Uh, But the key there, so there is one very, very important key is to get featured in. uh, So again, there's a homepage, then there are subcategories you want to get. And I forget what they, they call the subcategories, but, if you get featured, and again, you can't do anything about it, they have moderators as well or editors there, and they will look at all the new stuff coming in, and then they will feature it. And you can get featured like in the workshop. So the one that I post in and John posts on is um, workshop, and then there's subcategories. You can categorize it as wood- workshop, uh, categorized as woodworking. And so if you get featured in the workshop, yeah, you get a little bit of views. If you get featured on the homepage, you get even more views. But where the power in Instructables is is if they send you in the email list because they have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on their email list and they send out a, um, it's a daily, right? I think it's a daily email with with like 8 to 12 new projects that are doing really well with a thumbnail. So, um, you know, I think that what's, what's interesting, John, is like, if you go across all these platforms, the one thing that is consistent that you have to do is have a good title and have a good thumbnail, because that's what they all have in common. It's all about that enticement to get people to see. And then once they're in there, they interact with it. So uh, Instructables is a great place. If you want to get into blogging, it's also a great place to kind of get your feet wet there. And um, again, go in there. It's not it, it is much more of a of a quote unquote dump and run, because that's kind of the idea of it. The comment sections aren't real rich. It's just a, um, you know, it's just a resource where people can go and search. It's almost like a search engine for DIY, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they got a bunch of contests on there um, as well as a pretty cool community. You could follow people. I really dig Instructables. I've been on it for a few years now per your recommendation. It's driven a lot of quality traffic, which is great. These are the individuals who want to learn how to make things um, on a deeper level. So a lot of plan uh, you know, type sales or free downloads. You know, you can drive traffic from those. A great tool um, and a great asset to anybody that's producing content or instructional style content. Um, so, moving on. Uh, Adam also asked about Tumblr, Google Plus, and Twitter. So, obviously, everyone has. Obviously, oh, sorry, did I do that out loud? Obviously, everyone almost, <laughs> almost everyone has a Twitter. Um, and t- and Twitter's tough to me. Like we said it before, and this is all that'll be. I'll say and move on. Is To me, Twitter is a bathroom wall um, and that if you're putting out content on Twitter and hoping for, um, you know, it to drive traffic or for it to gain traction, it's much more difficult um, than, you know, using Instagram or Facebook. From my experience, um, I just haven't really had success there. And I think it's very difficult to get seen because there's so much going on. Um, Yeah, it's
0: a bathroom wall that gets erased every 15 minutes. Yeah.
1: So because of that, I would just honestly focus your Uh, efforts somewhere else. Google Plus, um, I don't think there's much benefit to Google Plus anymore. Uh, I think they they might even be shutting that down. uh, Yeah, I heard that too, but I would just make sure that you set up your channel properly. That way you don't get spam calls because they call me all day long. And I just could, I refuse to fix it because I'm stubborn. But here's an interesting (laughs) one is Tumblr. So what Tumblr is, is a, uh, it's kind of like a portfolio for photography, And for for visual Um, and what it can be is a tool to use in other places. So we touched on Reddit liking photography and you can't embed video on Reddit. You can only uh, post URLs. And because of that, um, what I know some guys do is they will take a video with no voiceover and no text overlay and then take shots of it, turn that into a Tumblr, post the Tumblr to Reddit and then that backlinks to the video. Um, so, yeah, right? A lot of work there. There's a yeah. lot of work there. But like, <laughs> hey, our buddy Paul Jackman, he's won multiple times on Reddit and have been on the front page of Reddit um, with that technique. And, and he told me that and I was, I was kind of impressed. But Tumblr can definitely become something that's kind of like an online portfolio for what you're doing. But I would honestly suggest owning um, your content in that sense. Uh, just building your own website to catalog, catalog your work. And then using Instagram to supplement it. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I think that's uh, the big thing.
0: And just to hit real quick on that content versus products. Most of these are going to be geared towards content creators. And if you're trying to get eyeballs on your items. Um, that said. I think there's. I mean I am sure. There are some really strong Reddit communities. Uh, around woodworking in general. That are more topical around asking questions. So that's actually a great place. Like if you, you know, if you're old school and you were ever in the forums, like Woodnet, if anybody ever remembers a Woodnet forum, um, that Reddit could be a great place for community for asking questions and stuff like that. It's just much more of like the old school forum. Um, and by the way, when you go on Reddit, you're going to be like, what the heck is this? It looks crazy. It looks like it's 1995. But once you get used to it, you'll, you'll figure it out. So uh, yeah, man. Adam, great question on that. And uh, I think our answer has definitely evolved since we answered you the last time because of you know what we're learning and seeing on Reddit now. So great question. What do we got? Let's jump over to a to a product one, John. What's our next question?
1: Um, all right. So Luke Pitney asks about at what point during your business growth can you justify a full time employee? Is it worth the risk of cutting into your own profit margins to pay someone to help produce your products quicker in order to take on higher volumes of customer orders? Um, and this question is quite interesting because Brad and I have been having this conversation for a while. I mean, we're both at the stages where hiring is the next step for both of our content businesses and my uh, furniture business, which does have an employee. Um, so the, I think the the meat of this question is really I kind of spun it back when I originally answered. I remember Brad and I said that it possibly um, the time of hiring, in my opinion, is going to be when you feel like you're completely maxed out and spread thin. Um, And that's going to come down to you as um, the manager or the owner of the business. Now, what happens to a lot of people that are producing product for a living is that you get caught up in all of the behind the scenes stuff and you don't really get to get into the shop anymore. Um, That being, uh, you know, answering emails or creating an inquiry funnel or drawing or going to meetings or on site deliveries, ordering for jobs, all of this stuff, someone has to do it. And when you're the only person there, it kind of falls on you. So not having a proper process or system set up can really become detrimental to the growth of your business. And especially in these instances, my recommendation for anybody that's looking to hire is to take the time to set up these processes first And then you can hire someone to implement that process. Now, that's not the only solution, but it is a great way to gauge where you're at. If you have a great process for something that's going into your business and you're looking for help, there's going to be nothing easier than bringing somebody on at a rate that's lower than what you pay yourself to handle a process that you already know works. The hands down, the easiest part of it. That's why it's so easy for a lot of us to look at hiring and what we do and immediately go to hiring some help in the shop because the shop stuff is second nature to us. It's easy to say I could give a guy 10 bucks an hour to help me do sanding and finishing two days a week or I can you know, get a girl into the shop to help me do, you know, um, the milling of my raw materials two days a week. Well, yeah, that type of stuff is definitely valuable, but that process is kind of all over the place still. You know, each project isn't going to be. Um, That simple. Some projects are going to have parts and things that go into it that need uh, a lot more attention to detail, you know, and you can find yourself in situations where that becomes more difficult than just having someone who's helping you filter through emails and make sure that your invoicing system set up because that's pretty systematic and that stuff's going to be a pretty Pretty much something that you're setting it up once and maybe tweaking it a little bit, but it's going to work itself as you continue to go. So when it comes to hiring, I would evaluate the multiple processes that go into your business and see that where see where your time is most valuable because you're going to be spread thin at that point. That's where you find somebody and you justify their amount that you're paying them um, based on whatever task that they're doing. Yeah. And it's it's also like the, I think that's the great lead in
0: of, of it's the time value of uh, the value of your money. Right. Uh, excuse me, the value of your time. And if you're doing things that you can outsource at 10 bucks an hour. I mean, that, that's like perfect example. And if you have the processes set in place. So when you look at, you know, when you look at your work. Look at the stuff that only you can do. That's the stuff you want to concentrate on, right? So the building, the design, whatever those things are that uh, make your work your work, uh, you want to focus in on those. But all the little behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, billing, invoicing, like John said, you know, even making um, supply runs. Like I know. People who do that and they'll say they'll give people a list and say, hey, here's a list. Here are the 15 things I need from Home Depot. Go get them for me. Right. And just have that person go out and pay them for their time spent doing that. So those are perfect examples. And then focus in on what you're super good at, what you're good at. I think the other one, and this was definitely something that afterwards we talked about Luke with, is that uh, I think one of the common misconceptions, because he talked about, I don't know if I want to cut into my margins. Uh, One of the common misconceptions uh, rolled into that question is that I think and I know that after talking with Luke, what he was thinking about is like, oh, I'm going to be outputting more money. And so there's going to be less money coming into my pocket. But the idea is that you have to think about that differently. And that's because Luke was thinking about his time as money he was making per hour. So he was thinking as an employee, not as a business owner. So if he you know, was getting paid, let's just say 30, he was billing for 30 bucks an hour for himself and he put 10 hours into it, then that's 300 bucks in his pocket, in his mind. But really that's a $300 expense to his business for labor. So if he replaces that with paying somebody else, then he's now got 10 hours to invest somewhere else. It's still a $300 expense yep. and he should be making the same amount of margin Because based upon, you know, using the principles that we talk about in the pricing guide, he's basing his margin based off of his cost going into it being labor. So, yes, you lose the money that you would make as an employee hourly, but you keep the same margin as a business owner. Right. And you actually should be able to even make more money because now you've got 10 hours to spend designing a new product, talking to new customers, whatever those things are. Uh, And so you end up making more money in the long run as a business, even though you're not making the hourly money that you think about as an employee
1: yes and so um i think what's also very important in that aspect is when you feel like your uh your time value is at a price point in which you what you're doing um is undervaluing your time if i if that makes sense so basically like tasks that you don't that you think are within that like 10 to 20 an hour range if you're paying yourself $35 to $50 an hour, say, um, you should not be doing those tasks. Those are the tasks that you can offload in order to go find the things that you can make that $30 to $50 an hour on. And I think that's exactly what you were alluding to, Brad. It was like, if your money is made in your business, like, and it's similar to mine, and and we'll go back to this. My money is made in the selling and the fabrication of the furniture. All the other stuff that goes into it is a money loss. Like those are costs that go into things. So when I sell something and they they hand me a check, that's part of the income I get from a build. When I deliver that piece and they give me the final check, that's the other time I'm getting income. Besides that, everything else is a cost or an expense. And I think you nailed it there with having how you should be looking at things. You shouldn't be looking at them as, well, if I pay somebody else this amount, then that's not money in my pocket. You got to look at it as the as the business is the business able to make money there, too. Um, another thing I think is interesting, and I'm glad we're, we answered this question on the after show before we did our interview with Sean Van Dyke. So yes. since then, Sean uh, made the comment in in that interview of below the line, get some help and above the line, get freedom. And I think that that is an essential aspect to hiring that a lot of us take for granted. When you're looking to hire somebody, you should be looking to hire somebody that can add to what you're doing for your business. Yes, you'll be able to take a task or something that's happening and put that on to somebody else in order to take it off yourself. But what you should also be looking for in that hiring of that person is someone who can grow that role. For instance, I talked about at the beginning of the show, I'm hiring an assistant. Well, in that, I'm not going to be putting the tasks that I'm already doing on her only and just saying, hey, thanks. Here's a check. I'm looking for more like I I need you to develop a process in order to handle this situation. I'd like to hear your top five ideas for doing this in the future. Like in the month of May, I want this done, and I want to hear how you want to handle it. And then I need these twenty-seven tasks done for you know Tuesday before eight p.m. And like, but (laughs) but but what I'm saying is that if you put somebody in a role in which they can grow into it, and you hire above the line, that's where you're able going to be able to take your mind off of one managing that person and two, um, doing all of the mindless things that suck all the like that, that ex- basically exhaust you as a business owner. So at, you're going to have points where you're doing stuff and you're like, oh, oh, I need to hire somebody like I'm sick of doing this. And that is literally exactly when you need to hire one two. stop putting it off. Like I I made the I made the jump after talking to Sean um, to, to put the initiative out there to do that. And I know Brad and I have talked about it and we hired an editor and Nick's been killing it, by the way. Good job, dude. Um, and, and like we are making moves as business. And I think that that is the, one of the biggest hurdles too, when it comes to hiring is that a lot of us are just not taking the initiative to actually do it. Yeah, totally agree, man. I mean, I am so guilty of this cause I, I am not
0: doing any of this in fix this, build that, and I need to. Um, and like I was literally two times this week, I was in Pinterest filling out uh copyright infringement violation forms like to get content taken down where people use my stuff and had pins for it, which by the way is if people are stealing your pins and getting a lot of traffic off it, like as I did that, my traffic went up by like 25% on those pages on the site. So anyway, uh, you should be looking for people stealing your content. But that being said, uh, is that something I need to be doing? No, I could pay somebody like less than $10 an hour to be doing that for me. Um, you know, I could go off Fiverr and say, Hey, go, you know, I need you to find all the all the pins that have this image that are not going to my site and then send it back to me. And, the, you know, I could just really make that a lot more efficient. Uh, so, yeah, I I need to get on that boat. But, man, uh, great question, Luke, because I think a lot of people are struggling, struggling with that right now. Um, so jumping back over to social media, we have uh, a question from our, one of our longtime patrons, Katie Freeman. And she said, uh, I've heard a lot about a lot of talk about not using all 30 hashtags on Instagram, and making sure you keep them super fresh so the new algorithm doesn't think you're spammy or shoot you down to the bottom. Uh, and also the importance of putting hashtags in the post and not in the comments. And this was actually part of uh, we talked about uh, we were gonna be giving our patrons a little first insight into what's going on with some of the new pa- the new changes on Instagram. Uh, and this is one of them. So this is something that's kind of hot out there. And there have been a lot of changes in Instagram. If you guys have noticed, uh, you know, things going differently, you're not getting as much reach on your Instagram. Uh, there's a reason for that because they are changing a lot. Uh, they are ma- they are going back to uh, having new content be more valuable than older content. So not quite going to chronological, but also not propping up you know, very popular posts. Uh, and then this whole hashtag thing. And what what we'll tell you right now is that, um, yes, we have heard that this is going on and that this is that, A, they're going to stop giving value to the hashtags in the comments. Um, as of even today, that is still valid because uh, I think John and I both are, well, actually, I guess it's kind of a tale of two cities here. Um, John has jumped on and, and I are you even doing him in your comments anymore, John? No. I know you weren't for a little bit so, so the day I read that I stopped because <laughs> like I'm all in uh i on the other hand it was is not as as forward thinking and so I'm still using I'm not using the thirty uh but i am still I'm using a couple in my main hashtag, and I kind of was um kind of buffering that by using like woodworking in my main hashtag uh just so if nothing in my comments um counted that at least I had the woodworking there and then my own hashtag. Uh, but yes, we have heard that uh, and we're not sure what's going to happen yet. So if that does come into play, but I think the second part of that question is even more relevant,
1: right, John, about the super freshness and about me having on point hashtags. Yeah, I'm I'm getting crushed right now. Like we are we do not have the answer, by the way, for this question. <laughs> we um, we're experiencing experience it as the rest of you guys are. And we're just learning as much as um, as we can. But in that, you know, we have realized that everything's changing. And me personally, um, I think, I think what you're hitting on is is pretty important is you can't just batch out the same hashtags over and over and over again and expect them to perform for you. Um, and I, and we've been seeing that a lot. Um, I think the whole concept of shadow banning, which, which you can correct me if I'm wrong, Brad is, um, basically along the lines of Instagram's trying to eliminate people who are posting, um, with accounts, into things that they don't have uh, any context and po- irrelevance and okay. posting in. Um, we're trying to eliminate that. But what it's doing is forcing people like ourselves to get interesting with our hashtag usage. Um, and what will happen is you will be able to see your content and your followers, I think, will be able to see it. But people outside of that will not be able to see your posts in those hashtags. So basically, the whole concept of search, um, it, you're dead to it. So, <laughs> because of that, you got to keep it interesting. Um, and in that, you know, I've been I've been starting to try and implement things that are outside the space of of what I'm doing typically. Um, so, like, you know, woodworking, wooden and wood shop have been like staples for myself. And I know YouTube, Brad, for years now. Um, I've been trying to only use like one of those big guys and then trying to implement some things that might be a little bit different about whatever that post is. If I'm doing something that's kind of like ooey and gooey, I might put like hashtag squishy or hashtag goo or something, (laughs) but like, I'm just trying to do things a little bit different. I know. Right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Squishy. But my, 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 my dog's nickname is the squish man. So squishy is uh, Uh, one of my favorite words, but, uh, (laughs) But trying to think of ways to like use different hashtags on the same type of content is basically what's happening. Um, We don't really have a formula like before we used to be like, you know, 10% of the top end, you know, chunk of 70% in this in the middle kind of searched hashtags and then 20% at the bottom like the we don't really have an answer for that right now. We know Instagram is uh, suggesting using like five to 10 posts or five to 10 per post. Um, I would keep that on the lower end. I try to use like five or six just because they're back in the comments now that it, it looks like really spammy. If you have 30 hashtags yeah, in, like in your description, it just yeah. doesn't look good. Um, so I would, I mean, I would keep it interesting. I don't know if you're having any success. I know for a while there, we were both trying to get seen in the hashtags like, wow, and amazing. Um, and I haven't really been winning there very much, but I know some of our patrons, you know, that Mikey and Tim are just crushing it. And uh, I'm playing catch up. Um, So, yeah, it's been interesting to see the evolution. And I think
0: the other thing is, is that um, we're seeing people win using lots of different methods and like the stuff that's working. uh, We talked about Mikey. Mikey, the maker is is also one of our patrons. And um, he's been growing like crazy and he's using our old school method. He's using, you know, thirty hashtags. Um, he's actually using the exact hashtags that we've used, and he's doing well with them. So it's it, it's all very, it's all very interesting. And I think what they've done is they've they've started really um, making things that it, it's just. Very specific and algorithm based. So there's no there's no broad based ways to just, you know, there's no tricks. You can't be like, okay use these 30 hashtags and you're going to win like that's just not going to work. They're serving your content based upon who's interacting with you. Uh, We've talked about in the past, the more you interact on the platform, going back to that whole conversation uh, and from the first question you've got to be a valuable member of the Instagram community. And that's what Instagram values. And that's what they're going to push. So if you're in there commenting and replying to comments, that's one of the other things about that we've really heard and have seen some success with is um, immediacy of response, response time. So when you do a post, don't drop and run, just like we talked about in Reddit, don't drop and run, go in there and engage on the comments. And don't do it Late, you know, don't post at 7 a.m. Then come back and comment at 7 p.m. Post at 7 a.m. and respond at 7:05. Respond at 7:10. Uh, that first hour is the most important time because basically what happens is that Instagram is releasing your content to a certain amount of your audience. We've heard all kinds of different numbers, but they're what it appears to be is that they're putting it to your most engaged followers. If that piece of content does not Uh, resonate with your most engaged followers, then they're not pushing that further. All right. And if you have a business account, you can see that. And if you go into the insights, it'll show you the percentage of people um, even out. It'll show you the reach, but it'll also to show you the percentage reach outside of your audience. So that's when you know you have a winning piece of content when that number starts getting higher. I mean, I've had a a few videos recently that were like up into the 50s, almost 60%. So that would say that uh, over 60% of the people that saw this piece of content were not following me. That means that that resonated really well uh, in general and that Instagram pushed that out more to a larger audience. Uh, so the other thing that we've seen, uh, you know, this is kind of just getting into the new tips and tricks, is um, that saves are super important. Um, so there's that whole uh, bookmarking. And if people are bookmarking your stuff, that it's done. Uh, I don't know if you saw him, John, uh, Jeff Mack, another one of our our uh, alums from the interview. Jeff was doing some experimentation and kind of like asking people, hey, comment on this, thumbs up this, save this and seeing where the reach was. And that was one of the things he he found was, uh, the, you know, the most had the most traction was the saves.
1: And I've seen the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I just had a post <laughs> drives me nuts. I had a sharpening post, which is something that you would save and go back to, right? Like you, I put out a piece of quality information. If you want to go back to it, when you have the time to sharpen, you save that. And I knew that. And it got like hundreds of saves. I think I told you this. And the video didn't go anywhere close to as viral as I would have expected from just having it saved. So as much as we think that these things are important, it's still kind of a guessing game. And what you're going to have to do is see what types of content are winning for you and then kind of hammer those home. Um, our buddy Izzy Swan has been putting out a ton of content lately and absolutely killing it. And like we said earlier, so is Mikey the maker and they've kind of hit rhythm. And I think that that's where, um, your mind needs to kind of be here with all of these changes is that if you have something pop off, like boom, hammer that home until, um, you feel like it's, it's gone away. Uh, and we've seen that work before in the past with, with like, with black forest and their and their resin pours, you know, that was, couple months of them just dominating all, all things, Instagram with those. And now they're pivoting and, and, you know, changing up their content and doing a great job. And, uh, and yeah, so I think that worrying about the changes kind of becomes something that happens to us as quote unquote marketers, but you need to still be considering how quality your content is. Like, I think you said a couple of weeks ago, Brad, like, man, like what's been going on with your stuff. Like we we track each other's numbers and, and you made a comment that mine's kind of been down. And I, I believe my response to you was my content sucked. Like, I just, <laughs> I just knew that my stuff wasn't as high quality as um, it should be in order to do well. And when it comes down to it, we can give you all the advice we, we until we talk ourselves red in the face. But quality content is going to win at the end of the day. And you need content to be, be, be focusing on that over trying to, to beat the system and worrying about Love hashtags that. and all that stuff. So
0: Love that you hit that because that's exactly where I was going to go. Um, no matter what, content is king. And again, tying back to the beginning thing. It's about that thumbnail, and on Instagram, it's all about the thumbnail or the static image. So uh, if you're doing videos, like, don't just don't just post a video and let it take the first scene. I've seen some accounts out there, to remain nameless, um, where, like, the beginning of the video is, like, black, and that's the thumbnail is, like, a black frame, and it's like, okay, like, nobody... Nobody is going to click on that if they see it in the Explore feed, you know, like if it's in their home feed, yeah, they might look at it, but nobody's going to be in the Explore tab and click on that. Like if you post a video, which video is still doing very well, uh, if you post a video on Instagram, pick, scroll through and like there's an option where you can change the cover, change the cover to something that's enticing or intriguing. And if you're posting wide, which is OK, but we would still say post one to one. If you're posting in widescreen, make sure that what you pick is going to look good in a square. And not you off to the left side with the board sticking out to the right because it's going to crop you out in that cover. Uh, so, yeah, content is, is just where it's at. And as long as you're doing good content, you know, the, the platform is going to reward you and the audience is going to reward you. The whole idea is that the platform rewards what the audience wants to see. So, make the stuff that the audience wants to see. Insane how that worked. That is crazy. Crazy theory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Content marketing 101. Awesome. So, um, I think the last question we've got here, we're bouncing back into uh, more of the product side of things. And our question's coming from our buddy Josh over at Modern Timber. And he asks, What is your guy's advice on charging for bidding? Um, he recently has been charging a small fee. Um, And then deducting that cost from his final product and was curious on our thoughts and advice on that. Um, I love it. I mean, that's almost literally exactly how I do it. I think I've talked about that before on the show. Um, I do believe that most of us, if not all of us in this space as sellers are undervaluing our time as designers and our time in that service of um, creating the idea of whatever we're building um most of us don't even quantify that in our pricing models which is which is not good but definitely not getting paid for it because there's going to be so many instances where people are um designing things for an individual and then they back out because of whatever might happen um and you're not getting paid up front for that so For me, um, what I do with a lot of, and and this is most if if I'm doing an off the cuff bid on a project, something that I've done multiples of that, I know my pricing and I know it's going to be ballpark, you know, I'll just tell them for this instance, it's going to be between X and Y. Um, But if it's a very high end custom build that they're looking for something super specific and and especially if I have to do an on site visit, I lay it out that I uh, I'll do that first consultation for free. And that all of my design after that, I will be billing for it. And then I have that individual sign a contract that says that they get, you know, two renderings of that design up front. They pay for that. Um, And after that, if they want another rendering, there is an upcharge for that. And as many of those as there are continuously, that's how that process works. And when you put things in that clear of a picture for the client, a lot of us are um, hesitant to do so because we think it's going to push that person away from buying from us. But what I actually found is that it kind of locks them into your process. And it's like, this guy's no BS, like he's going to get me this design. He's going to make this thing killer. And if I want to drag my feet on it and I want to make, you know, changes to the drawings or whatever it might be. That's on me, and I'm gonna have to pay for it. Um, keeps them
0: moving through the process,
1: yeah, yeah. And and I think that's how you handle it as a pro. I know a lot of contractors, and this is another Sean Van Dyke tip you know, a lot of contractors don't do this as well. And he's the one who got me into this process, but yeah, man, absolutely advocate for anybody charging up front for um, for drawings and for bidding because that is time out of your important life, like you're you're you're. You don't just sit here in your chair and spin around all day like we're out there hustling and grinding and making money. And when we're not doing that, we're spending time in the things that we enjoy in life. And there's not a lot of time in the day. And uh, you can't be just giving that stuff away for free. So um, so that's my experience there. What do what do you think, Brad? I love the the comment.
0: I was I was listening to, you know, I'll go back, man. I listen to the podcast, dude. Like, I will listen. I know you, you don't like to listen to the podcast. I love it. I like go back, especially on the interviews. Uh, I'll go back and listen. And one of the things that Sean talked about was um, the difference between an estimate and a bid. And I really liked that idea uh, because he basically said, as a professional, so, you know, once you get enough dining room tables under your belt... Cutting board, whatever it is that you're doing, houses uh, that you should be able to make and give somebody an educated estimate. But that's what it is. It's an estimate that you're not really putting any time into. They say, Hey, here's my needs. I need a 72 inch by 38 inch uh, dining table. Great. What is that going to be made out of? Uh, walnut. Okay, great. Like, what are you looking for? You're looking for a certain design, or, you know, da 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 da. What kind of finish? And, and kind of walk through that quickly, walking through if, in a face to face or on the phone conversation. Um, you say, you know, great. Yeah, I think that's going to be around twenty two hundred dollars, give or take. Uh, but, you know, if you'd like me to have a bid, I can give you a more specific one if you want something more custom. Uh, so I think there are things that you can do off the cuff. And I think we've talked about this before, uh, about giving bids and making sure that when you're doing it, that you're not um, you know, you're not giving somebody a low bid because then like, once you tell them that thing, like you don't want to estimate low No, because once you do, they lock that <laughs> in their mind.
1: Yeah. You know? If you come in low, like they will, you'll hear it. And so yeah. if you don't know your you know, numbers, oh, you try don't, you don't charge me. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you don't know your numbers, don't throw prices out there.
0: So I think there's, there's also an onus there that, um, you shouldn't be charging people to give them a ballpark, Right. I mean, like what we're talking about here in bidding is like custom work. It, you should have numbers in your mind for a spec table. And we've talked about spec work before, but that's something that, like, you know, the dimensions, like, you know, how much it costs, you know, how much time it takes you. And you can bang out a, like you said, you know, a 72 by 38 inch dining table, four poster legs with an apron, and you know exactly how much material and everything it has in there. That should be something that you can go ahead and quote on. What the bidding comes in at, or, you know, design charge is when somebody says, Hey, I've got this idea. Yeah, (laughs) Like they've seen your work and they say, I've got this idea. And, uh, you know, I want it to have a fifth leg in the middle, right? It's going to be this sweet new thing. It's going to be a combination of a four poster and a pedestal. And like, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) You're like, okay, uh, let me think about that because (laughs) I got to decide how I'm going to make that. And, uh, and, you know, that's where you go through is if it's something you've not done, but as a professional, um, you know, who's running a business, you should have those those ideas in your mind. And it's OK to give a range, too. Uh, and I think it's actually a good thing to give a range just because you can say, hey, you know, the range is going to be between, you know, 2000 and 2400, depending upon finish and kind of joinery, you know, what kind of look you want. And then work through that with the customer, because, you um, you know, that, that's, again, the worst thing you can do is get stuck kind of giving somebody an off-the-cuff number that's too low, and then you come back and you gave them a quote of 1500 then you say, oh, it's really 2500 and they're like, what? Like, first of all, you've just, your credibility just went out the window uh, because you don't know your product. But but once you get into actual design, yes, I'm 100% with you, John. You have to value your time, uh, and that is a step in the process. And if you're going to reward a customer by converting that time and, and crediting them that on the back end... I think that's great. I think that's a good value add that that shows that, you know, you're invested in it and that I think it's uh, you know, we talk about standing apart and differentiating yourself. I think that's a great one uh, to be able to do that. But again, put some time limits. Like John said, he gives you the first rendering. If all of a sudden you want to make changes. Then it's like, okay, great. That's going to be fifty bucks an hour, or whatever you decide. I don't know. Like, what, what, what does your pricing structure look like, John, to give some people some reference for uh, what they might think about bidding or charging for that?
1: So I'm using a. I charge two two fifty for a design consultation, and that is deducted from the final price of the product. Now this is like I said on on large uh, scale items, and this is on things I know that are going to be four hours or less of work for myself. Um, and now I, I know that that's pretty low from an hourly rate on what I'm doing, but, um, what that does is that it's not a price that's too high when it comes to buying a, you know, a dining table, for instance, that's, you know, three to $6,000 because that's such a small amount of it. And the clients that I'm looking for are going to be the clients that are willing to sign that. And that's another thing you have to think about in this situation is that you are trying to morph the ideal client out of what you're doing and how you are um, manipulating, not manipulating, how you are managing these situations with in other individuals who are buying your stuff. And because of that, you have to be the person that kind of pushes them in the direction that you want them to go. So if a client's not willing to sign something up front for you, they're probably not a client you want to be working with. And if they're a client that is giving you a lot of pushback on processes that are in the way you do things, probably not a client you want to be working with. Like we don't walk into giant Eagle and buy cereal and then tell the clerk how we're going to buy it. We follow their process on what's <laughs> going on, right? Like, so why, why should somebody be able to uh, tell you how they want to buy things off of you? Um, So you have to think of things that way as well. Now you might get some pushback initially on this and you might have to try to find that like sweet spot of how much to charge up front But, you know, if you're asking a couple thousand dollars for a piece and that individual is not willing to give you a couple hundred just to lock you in on the contract so they understand what they're getting, um, probably not someone you want to be working with. I would also make sure that you are considering the situations that you do this as the the uh, types of projects where there are distinct line items. There's a scope of work. There's multiple aspects going into it, and it's not spec work like what Brad touched on there. Um, you nailed it in that situation. Like if you're doing built-ins for a client and you're on-site measuring, you're doing a delivery, you're sourcing materials for them, and you're you're supplying them with pools and hardware, and you're giving them samplings, and there's multiple meetings. Like Put this stuff into uh, a, a line item list, put it into a contract, have them sign it beforehand, and then that would be your bid, quote unquote, and then your bid's built into that. Another way you could probably do it is that make sure that is that if you are categorizing and line iteming your prices for your product, make sure that you have bidding built into it. Um, and you know that's a little bit more of the time where they're going to be like, "Oh, you were charging me for those designs, and uh, you didn't tell me. Like I didn't know. I wouldn't have had those." So that's where you'll get that from the client, and this is why I suggest doing it upfront. Um, I've I've dealt with situations where I've had custom work done and those type of fees have been hidden on the back end and I didn't feel good. Like I didn't like that and I didn't like that situation and that's why I advocate for putting it in the front.
0: Yeah, up front with the customer, I think, is always going to win. And I really like that idea, John, of, of using that. So if you're not doing this, if you're not doing a contract, if you're not going ahead with the bidding, that this could be a great step to up your game and to filter out the... Type of client that you want to work with, right? I mean, I think this is a great way to implement things where it will naturally get you to uh, a higher level of interaction of people that are more engaged and that are willing to pay and that want a finer piece of furniture that's going to give you a better margin. So, yeah, you know, I think those are
1: those are great takeaways on that. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff there. That's a great. So these are some great questions. I mean, this is kind of why you and I picked them out to go over. Um, we love this aspect of our patrons like we thoroughly enjoy each after show and answering questions um, that really get down to like the nitty gritty of what our audience wants and needs. Um, and and I've had a lot of fun uh, diving back into these. It's 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 cool to see what we've learned since we answered these because some of these are from months ago um, and then be able to elaborate on them a little bit more here.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's funny how some of this stuff changes so frequently. And that's one of the nice things that we can. Uh Update people with the latest and greatest, even though we may have had a show on it you know six months ago wait man, that's scary when's our when's our year coming up? Have we already hit a year? We'll have to no <laughs> how do we do an
1: episode a week and we're only on forty in
0: the, I don't know we took year. a lot of time off. This is the other thing you'll also get in the after show is a is a lot of banter uh almond talk Ooh. uh
1: and yeah a lot all of, kinds of other a lot other... of snack talk almond talk
0: we're <laughs> a little more loose, a lot more loose in the after show so uh if you enjoy that type of thing, then head on over. So if you guys do want to get engaged uh, and become a patron again, you can just head over to patreon.com forward slash made We'd love to have you. Uh, and that first tier is uh, is all it takes to get on the after show and join the MFP tribe, as well as join the uh, the patron Facebook group, which is this is where we're getting the questions from now, and what's great now with the Facebook group because we have the main group as well, uh, but in the the Patreon group, I feel like the questions are a little more uh, a little more juicy, and I think they're answered a little more openly as well, uh, which is which is pretty cool. So you can enjoy all that good stuff plus plus some other things. So go ahead over there if you are interested. But yeah, we just we wanted to do this. We'll probably do this about once a quarter where we just come back and uh, you know find questions that we think are really valuable that, uh, that we haven't maybe hit on the main show that we want to share with everybody else.
1: Yeah, no doubt. This is a, this is a lot of fun.
0: Good show. All right. And segue, we're going to go into our after show and answer more questions right now. So, uh, again, we're, we're going to keep doing this. We do it every single week. So thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, hopefully we'll catch some of you guys in the after
1: show. All right. See you later. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at Made for Profit, where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode.